Turn to the scriptures, please. Let's turn to the Psalms. Psalm 77, please, just for a reading to uh, carry on uh, in the theme from where we were last week. Remember, we're on the theme, Our Kinsman Redeemer. This is week two. I think, I trust it'll be last week. I don't know, but we'll see how we get on. Psalm 77, please. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 13. Thou art, thy way, O God, pardon me, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that, dwell, that doeth wonders and hath declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Stop there. Pause a minute. Think about that. Verse 15 again. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Father, take your word and bless it to our hearts. Inscribe it into our minds, Lord. And print it there and give us teachable spirits. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48, we had the blessing of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob, who is Israel crosses his hands, his right hand upon the head of Ephraim and his left hand upon the head of Manasseh. Joseph goes to remove them to put hands straight out like this, left on left and right on right. And though Jacob says, I know what I'm doing, paraphrasing. And so he prays the blessing over Ephraim and he prays the blessing over Manasseh. Manasseh would be a great and mighty nation. Ephraim would be a company or a commonwealth of nations. So we looked at how the redemption was paid, or pardon me, the, redemp- the angel that redeemed uh, Jacob is spoken of in and, and inextricable links with Israel. Inextricable links from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob Israel. He now prays this redemption and blessing upon the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. When we get then to uh, Psalm 77 and verse 15, it says, Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. In other words, you have redeemed all the twelve patriarchal sons. That's Jacob's twelve sons in the tribes and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, In other words, Lord, you have redeemed them out of different dangers. You have redeemed them. It was, if you want, a temporary redemption in danger, a temporary redemption when they were in war, when they were in trouble. And the redemption then comes right through the Scripture, and we're going to look at the inextricable link between God and Israel, God and his people, God and you and I, and our redemption through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Thou hast with thine arm redeemed. The idea here is that God, as, as, as the manifest presence of the Son comes in 
and becomes flesh. Remember, the redemption is, in most of the terms in the Old Testament, it is deliverance. It is, he, he saved them out of different scenarios and circumstances. And so he's saying, you put your arm into these things. We have an old saying, isn't it? Someone digs the arm in, you know, gets the arm into you. In other words, they, they're, they're, they're meaning to do something. They're at work. And so God, as it were, puts his arm in, not only in spirit, but now in substance when Christ comes, when he is clothed in flesh, the Lord Jesus. So notice there, he's redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah, in other words, think about this. The inextricable link between God and his people, Yahweh and Israel here. And so the word redeemed, if we remember, is the word galal. Gaal. And it's closely linked to the word goel, which is for kinsman, one of the same blood or flesh, in other words. So Christ becomes flesh. Remember, we're going to look at this. He becomes, God becomes flesh. And in the person of Christ, he is our goel, our gaal, our redeemer. So it's not just something God does. He redeems. It's somebody God is. He's redeemer. He come, becomes redeemer. If you will flick with me to Psalm 107, please, as we look at some of these scriptures this morning. Psalm 107, verse 1. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Notice, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Notice, redeemed is mentioned twice in verse 2. He has redeemed from the enemy. It is Gaal. The inextricable link here is that God becomes their savior. God is Israel's redeemer. And the idea of it is he is their Gaal is the word. So look at this. And let's read it as kinsman. Let the, those who have been redeemed, in other words, of the Lord, redeemed by the kinsman, say so. For he hath become their kinsman, it would mean. He's brought them from the enemy. That's the idea of this. So they are redeemed. And they have been brought out of the hands of the enemy. The inextricable link with God and his people. Turn with me again to Isaiah chapter 43, please. We're going further away in time from Jacob. And the covenant still stands. The covenant still continues on. And the covenant goes right through to the prophet Isaiah and then on again. But let's go Isaiah chapter 43. And notice what it says in verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. You can write there, Israel's creator. That created that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Notice what he says, I have redeemed you, what I have done. In other words, God in his person, God in himself became personable with Israel. He is inextricably linked now with Israel because of his own sovereign will and election. And so he now comes to them and he says, you're my people. I created you, and since I created you, I have become your kinsman. Yet God is still invisible, 
unless he becomes, remember, like the angel of the Lord we read? Remember Jacob wrestled with a man there, and we're told that man was God? But he is an angel, a theophany of Almighty God. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-Bethlehem, before his birth. And so here the Lord is saying, I've redeemed you, I'm your kinsman. And they could say, we can see the redemption, we can see the enemies are thwarted, we can see all that you've done, Lord, but where are you? We can't see you in person. We don't know you in that capacity. Even in the temple, they knew him to a point, and only through the prophets. And what God had given the prophets for them, could they know him at all? Notice here again in verse 2, when thou passest, here's a word for somebody going through trial. Here's a word for somebody going through tribulation this morning. Here's a word for you going through trouble. Here's a word for all of us this morning, because some of us are in a, a valley. Some of us may be going through the valley. Some of us have just come out of a valley, but some of us don't realize it. We may be going into a valley. So we all need to take these words in. When thou passest through the waters, notice, I will be with thee. That God is with us. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You can write there, Israel's keeper. We had Israel's creator. Here is Israel's keeper. Verse 3. Notice this. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One, of Israel thy Savior. In other words, it's I am Jehovah. Notice for the Lord. Thy God is Elohim. So it should read like this. Jehovah Elohim Kadosh Israel. I'm the Holy One. I'm the one who keeps you. I'm the one who's created you. I'm your maker. It's me that you look to. I'm your redeemer and I'm your Savior. And now you see God drawing close You see God drawing in to tell us who he is in relation to us. Verse 3, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, capital S. He's personalizing it here. He's personalizing it. And the idea of the gospel is, is that when he comes in flesh, the word manifest, made flesh, the Son of God, when he becomes flesh, he personalizes himself with you and I. And he says, I'm your Lord, I'm your creator, I'm your God, I'm your keeper. The invisible one had become visible unto Israel. The invisible one had become visible to those in Judah, in Judea, in Samaria, in Galilee. The invisible one had become visible. The redeemer that they heard about through the prophets who had delivered them and said, I'm your savior, had become visible and hung upon a cross. And died for you. And shed his blood for you. Notice here what he says. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I give Egypt for thy ransom. Know what he means here? I had a choice to make. Egypt or Israel. Egypt or Israel. People say God loves everybody the same. No, he doesn't. He says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Here he says, there's either Israel or Egypt, and he says, Israel, I chose you. You're my elect. You're my chosen. 
It's you and you alone, he's saying. And brothers and sisters, sitting here this morning, you are the elect of God. You're his own people. And he loves you this morning. He says, you belong to me, and thou art mine. Notice this. I give Egypt for thy ransom. I chose Egypt, are you over Egypt? Ethiopia and Seba for thee. In other words, there's none others compares unto you, my people. That's what God's saying. That's what God's saying. So you can write Israel's creator, verse 2, Israel's keeper, verse 3, Israel's savior. And since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore I will give men for thee, and people for thy life. You can write there, Israel's lover. He's the lover of our souls, brothers and sisters. And we love him because, what is it? You're all very quiet this morning. You're all somber still. We love him because. Will you shut it out? We love him because. Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Here is Israel's lover. Now look at this. Verse 5. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Now for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 11. Pardon me, verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. And my servant. Everybody's talking about what's all these, these two witnesses in the book of Revelation. The Lord's telling us here. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. That's what they say. It's the two houses of Israel. This is what they're saying. He says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant. We're here to serve him. Notice. Whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Notice Savior in verse 11 is a small S. Savior in verse 3 is a capital S. He's saying, I am personable, that's who I am. When I save you, that's what I do. That's what I do. Here's something for you. The word Savior there, verse 3 and in verse 11, is the word Yasha. It's the word Yasha for Savior in both verses. And if you take that Hebrew word Yasha and you take it right over into the English, or pardon me, into the into the Greek, and then into the English. We get our word Jesus from it. We get the word Jesus from it. So if you take Yeshua and you take the name Jesus in the Hebrew, it's Yahshua. Yasha, Yahshua. That's his name. Here's what he's saying. I am Jesus. I am Yeshua. I'm the one, your Savior. And they're going, well, we can't see you. We can see you saving we can see you delivering. We can see you redeeming. He says, well, I am Yeshua or Yeshua, your kinsman. And they're saying, yeah, but you're invisible. And what happens? John tells us what happens. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Notice verse 12, 14. And the Word was made. What was it? Flesh. How do we see? You see, salvation is abstract, isn't it? It's like love is abstract. Brother, you go and you tell your wife you love her and you don't show her. And she'll say, well, show me. And that's our manifestation of it. Sister, the same. Or grace is abstract. Oh, God showed me grace. Someone says, well, show me it. What is grace? How do we tell them? We can say the good things that God has done for us because it's abstract. Abstract means something having no material existence or form. It means something without material existence or form. We can know what it is. We can know what love is. We can know what salvation is. But there's no material existence and form because we can't see it. We can feel it. We can experience it. We can all say that. But how do we show the eye it? So we love, we show by our actions. Grace is shown in our lives when we show grace to others. And so we're showing grace and they're receiving grace. They're receiving love because we're showing love. Salvation. It was abstract. And all they could see was, and what many miracles they were, was the Red Sea opening. All they could see was them walking through on dry ground. They could see the quail coming and the, and the, the, the manna in the morning and the water out of the flinty rock. And, and they could see the miracles and the walls of Jericho falling. They could see the redemption. They could see the deliverance. They could see the salvation. But they couldn't see God in person unless he reveals himself as the angel of the Lord. Unless he came as a burning bush and a pillar of fire and a a pillar of cloud and so forth. They couldn't see him. So God's saying, I'm your Savior. Thank you, Lord. It's wonderful. And suddenly he says, now it's time. When the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And Israel then finds out that this man who's born in Bethlehem, not on Christmas Day, by the way. I hate to burst your bubble. Probably about September. He was probably conceived of the Holy Spirit around December. End off. Now you see him, and they're, they're rejecting the one they can see with their eyes. That is, the Jews rejected him. And so we see him in the Word, that is the Word, Word, and we see him in spirit. And the apostles come preaching the kingdom of God. And they come preaching salvation and redemption that our kinsman redeemer had come and took on him not the nature of angels but of the seed of Abraham. And they see him. They see him in spirit. That's why he says, Blessed are I that have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are I that have not seen and yet believed. With the physical eye we haven't seen Christ. With the physical eye, we haven't beheld him. And we haven't seen our Goel, Kensman, Redeemer. But this we know that through the Spirit, given our, our minds and our spirits and illumination through the Word of God, we see the Son of God in the Word, crucified for us, shedding his blood for us. And we see our salvation, our redemption, common flesh. And dying on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, can you see how God is inextricably linked with you?
God is inextricably linked with me. And so we find that no more is salvation abstract, but rather salvation is personified. That's why Christ just doesn't bring salvation. He is salvation. He is our Savior. He's our kinsman, our Redeemer. The word Savior in verse 3 means, gives the idea to be opulent, to bring to victory, to give aid and deliverance. So notice we find that the Redeemer, the Gaal, becomes a Goel. He becomes flesh. Bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. And so will you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, please? Galatians chapter 3. And notice this. Verse 13. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us. There he is. Very God of very God. Man of very man. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He hasn't redeemed us, by the way, from the law, but from the curse of the law. Because the law is written in our hearts. The law is imprinted upon our minds. And so when we walk in the Spirit, that is, when we walk according to the Word, the law is still alive in us. And the Spirit speaks according to the Word. Did you know if you could keep the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. If you could keep it, and I could keep it 24-7 in our waking moments and in our sleeping hours, do you know that if we could do that, it's actually keeping the law? That's actually keeping the law. And we can't keep the law to be saved. We must be saved by grace through faith. But the law written in our hearts shows us that the Spirit points to it when we walk wrong. Tells us to walk right. But we, as failures in the law, failing the law of God, we as failures, we are redeemed from the curse of it. We will not answer. We will not be lost because we've been redeemed from it. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now I want you to get this. I maybe just want to make this point and wrap this up because time's flowing and I went off kilter there as I always do. Way into somewhere else. I wasn't meant to go into all that in the book of Isaiah. So, well, I, I might do another morning, I might not. I might go somewhere else and see how the Lord leads. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man, every one that hangeth on a tree. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21, please. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Notice these two verses, verse 22 and 23. Verse 22. And if a man hath committed a sin, note this, underline this, worthy of death. And he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, verse 23, 
His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt, but thou shalt in any ways bury him that day. Notice, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. He that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. See the word accursed as in accursed of God there. It is the word kilala. Kilala. And this is what it means. It gives the idea of execration. Or in other words, it means to denounce evil. To denounce evil. To abhor. To abhor. Now if you can remember that for a moment. Because here's why. Because that's what the Father looked upon when Christ took the burden of your sin and mine. This was Jesus. Think about this. If he is our substitute, since he is our substitute, not if, since he's our substitute, pardon my bad grammar, since he's our substitute, our sin is on him. And since he's our substitute, when we think before we gave him as it were, he took the penalty of our sin, when we think of it like this, then we are before God, should be the one as it were, crucified or hung on a tree or people might think, well that's just death and it it comes to people sooner or later. No, listen, listen brother, sister, listen. Because that takes us on into the judgment seat. In our sin. And God abhors, abhors sin. That's what it means. When Christ became sin for us, the perfect, spotless, holy, impeccable Son, the Lamb of God, He took our sin. At that point, God looked upon Him and there was an an abhorrence of His only Son. This is the Son whom he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my agapathesweus, he says. In other words, it means this is my fully one and only fledged son with all mine inheritance. And he calls the love out of my heart. This is him. He's our kinsman. And the Father says that at the River Jordan. He says it on the mount in Matthew 17. And here we're finding at the cross, our Redeemer, the Father looks at him and abhors him. He abhors his son. He's denounced because he sees our sin as evil hanging on a tree. He's accursed of God. Can you see that? He is accursed of God. And God pours out his wrath on him. God pours out his full wrath on him. In order that you and I might take his righteousness. And that you and I, when the Father sees us, sees us not in abhorrence to him. But sees us as his children and in love.
Notice, what is worse, brother? What is worse, sister, than death? One might say being put to death when you're innocent. Yeah, that's worse, I suppose. What is worse? Well, I'm going to read some things off that someone was worthy of execution. As it says in Deuteronomy 21 and verse 22, If any man hath committed a sin worthy of death, he shall be put to death. And thou shalt hang him on a tree. Homicide. Murder. This is in the Old Testament. Murder. Listen. Striking one's parents. Boy, that was rough, wasn't it? Kidnapping. Witchcraft. Bestiality. The worshipping of other gods. How many of us should have been put to death so far? Violating the Sabbath. Child sacrifice. What about the abortion? You know something? I'm going to say this. I wasn't going to talk about this because I promised myself, but I'm going to say it. I don't care about people outside who, who, who hear this. I was fit to be tied, as we say yesterday. Fit to be tied. At Christians celebrating the American uh, election of Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, listen. I was fit to be tied. Listen, I don't, I'm not a big, massive Trump fan. Don't get me wrong. I think he was doing a better job. But I was fit to be tied because of this. They were putting up on social media pictures of them saying, isn't this wonderful? Christians! Is it wonderful that they allow the abortion of babies that they allow the decision to be up to a mother right up to birth. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that the man who's uh, uh, Joe Biden, it's a wonderful thing that he, you ready, brother, sister? I know I'm about to get myself into trouble. I'm going to say it anyway. Joe Biden wants Northern Ireland to be broken off from the United Kingdom during the whole Brexit debate. He wants us to be in the European Union through the Republic of Ireland. That's his next step. Now you watch this space. He was against the Brexit. He was against the United Kingdom and they're coming out from it. And then he says they'll do no trade deals. I'm getting off my topic. I want to get back onto my topic. Brothers and sisters, this is why. And people, Christians without sense, are glad and saying it's wonderful that people, I could say a lot more, but I won't, that people are, are like these people are being elected as the most powerful people on the earth. And they're saying it's a wonderful thing. And babies are going to be massacred. Shame on you. So shame on you. But our God is still on the throne. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26, 
Listen to what it tells us. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It's an enemy. Notice that. Notice this. Hosea, please. The book of Hosea. Where's Hosea? Jeremiah Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So if you find Ezekiel, Daniel, you find Hosea. The book of Hosea, 13. Hosea 13. Now notice, Hosea is a prophet. Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea is a prophet to the northern ten tribe kingdom of Israel. Hosea 13. Verse 14. Notice what Hosea says from the Lord. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Notice what he says. Paul takes this. And what does he say? Without turning to it, time's gone. O death, where is thy? O grave, where is thy? See how Paul's taken it from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Brothers and sisters, that's why we can stand on this this morning. Death, listen, is a defeated enemy because Christ was raised on the third day. Jesus was raised from the dead. He rose again. Our kinsman. Redeemer rose again on the third day. Now notice this and note it. He defeated the enemy. He defeated death. So death is a defeated enemy, but one day it will be a destroyed enemy. A destroyed enemy. When the Lord comes back, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So what is worse than dying from a crime one did not commit? And I finish here. What is worse than dying for a crime that one did not commit? So that one more time, because I want you to get this. What is worse than dying for a crime that one did not commit? I'll tell you what's worse. Dying being accursed of God. Dying, being accursed. Remember the word accursed? What is it? To abhor? Dying in your sin and God abhors it. That's worse. That's worse. Dying in your sin and God abhors it because he's already sent the kinsman redeemer. He's already given his life's blood that we might be redeemed and saved. And if you reject his son, our kinsman, and if you die in your sin, people think, I'll be all right, I went to my church. Listen, if you die without Christ, you die in your sin, you will die. You will be denounced as evil. No matter how good a person you are, you'll be denounced as evil and you will die in abhorrence to God. God must take action in it. 
If God does not judge you for your sin, if God does not judge our nation for our sin, then he'll have to apologize to the devil because he kicked him out of glory for it. And God will not repent of it, saith the prophet Hosea. There'll be no repentance of it because God has made it possible through the kinsman redeemer that you might be saved. Listen, I know where I'm going. I know what I'll be when I die. I'm going to be with Christ, which is far better. Are you saved this morning? Are you blood-washed this morning? Are you blood-bought this morning? Are you trusting the Redeemer this morning? And if you aren't, then come and see us and we'll lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, look, loads of pages are, that's the end of that.